Treasures from the golden age of radio. You're listening to the amazing world of radio with Adam Graham. Welcome to the amazing world of radio from Boise, Idaho. This is your host, Adam Graham. If you have a comment, email it to me, box13 at greatdetectives.net. This summer series of summer replacement programs is brought to you by our Patreon supporters at patreon.greatdetectives.net. Well, now we turn our attention to a 1949 summer series called Four Star Playhouse, where each program starred one of four different stars. This program from the summer of 1949 originally aired August 21st, 1949, and the title is The Incredible Annalise. Here, transcribed, is another in NBC's outstanding parade of new shows, Four Star Playhouse a repertory company of four great Hollywood stars. This is Rosalind Russell. This is Fred McMurray. This is Loretta Young. This is Robert Cummings. Yes, these are the stars heard weekly on Four Star Playhouse. Ladies and gentlemen, one of our four-star players and star of tonight's play, Miss Rosalind Russell. Thank you, and welcome to our playhouse again. Every Sunday evening at this time, Fred McMurray, Loretta Young, Robert Cummings, and I appear in new dramatizations of stories selected from Cosmopolitan magazine. Stories by the world's leading writers of popular fiction. Tonight, I am a very busy girl. Tonight, I play several people. Because, as Anna Lee Barker, wistful movie starlets trying to make up with energy for her lack of beauty, I have a hard time making up my mind just who I want to be. So I try to be every movie star I've ever seen since I was four. And our evening's tour de force becomes a tour de force. So hop on the merry-go-round for a dizzy whirl with a dizzy girl as we bring you Robert Carson's The Incredible Anna Lee with Frank Lovejoy as Jim. My name is Jim Malvern, and you'll be surprised to learn that I am not a private eye. I'm a public relations man with Imperial Pictures, Hollywood, California. It's highly significant that I was in the middle of writing the word stupendous on my typewriter when Anna Lee Barker hurtled through my door with Mr. Pickrow, head of publicity. Hallelujah! Hallelujah! They are hooked. Who are you? Miss Barker, please. I hooked him. They signed the contract. Who did what? Miss Barker, they'll hear you down in the front office. They signed the contract. I'm an actress, it says here. They start paying me tomorrow. Hi, home, silver, mink, and sable. <laughs> what is this, Pickle? 
A stunt publicizing the case of the missing marble? Now tell him, Pickle. Inform him. Jim, this is Anna Lee Barker. Just call me Anna Lee. I'm practically a star now. Do you want me to post the pictures? I've got my baby suit on under this dress. Just in case. <laughs> Just uh, happen to have one with you. That's right. Anna Lee, this is Jim Malvern. Jim's going to handle your publicity. With thick gloves. My own publicity man. Oh, boy, I have come to high estate. Got a lot of animation, Jim, don't you think? Might come from Benzedrine or something. Oh, no, I come from Michigan. <laughs> in the water, you know. Oh, boy, my own publicity man. Gee, what if they find out I can't act? Well, it'd be the usual routine. You'll be a star and you'll make a large salary for years. I have a statement for the press. For immediate release, to it. I love Hollywood. I think pictures are a form of art. Say, where do I go at the end of the week to get my pay? Jim will show you. Yeah, and uh, take it easier, honey, or you'll blow your top. Now, don't you worry about me. I'm taking everything in my stride. Say, tell me something. If I go crazy, do they keep on paying me? Only if they go crazy, too. You want to eat? You mean now or in general? Have you had lunch? Well, I want to eat in the studio restaurant, but I can be seen. Oh, sure, sure. Maybe uh, Loretta Young or Fred McMurray will ask your autograph. And they shall have it. Pickle, this girl's got something. I'm not pretty and I can't act, but I've got a quality of sheer enthusiasm and electricity that will get over to an audience and give them a jag. Yeah, you got more than that. I got delusions of grandeur, but in a very modest way. I got to go outside. I feel my ulcer coming on. <laughs> Well, shall we eat, Dynamo Girl? I think you ought to eat very nourishing foods to help you keep your strength up, because I warn you, I am the only non-Mohammedan whirling dervish in captivity. I will run you ragged, but the experience will be worth the ten years it takes off your life. Now, how much of your money can I spend for my lunch? Anne. Mm. Annalee, aren't you going to eat? Oh. Hey, Swami. Come out of it. I was just thinking. Any luck? It's so tragic. What is so tragic? Here I, I am at the height of my career. Hasn't even started yet. Here I am, almost rich, almost loved, almost famous. The smallest accident could ruin everything. Like how? Bacteria, a banana peel. Stepping on a cobra as I get out of bed. That <laughs> figures. Oh, it's so tragic. It's so sad. Oh, cut. Who was that? Garbo. Pass the butter. Now shall we undertake to make a fragment of scent? Yes, please try, Jim. Oh, well. Imperial Pictures is going to give you the big build-up. That's my job here, making mountains out of molehills. Mm-hmm. That used to be my specialty. Used to be? I want somebody with experience. I was away from it for three years. The president greeted me. Ah, uh, you were in the woe. Uh, which one? French and Indian. <laughs> Now I see why you have a slight limit. I was tomahawked by a slight Indian. You were leading a charge? Whom against? It was against the desk in the Pentagon building. A full colonel kicked me out from under. Uh, Oh, but you're home again. You've come home to make me wealthy. That full colonel can never hurt you again. Calling Robert Cummings. Robert Cummings, can you come to stage 13 at once? Ah, someday that shall happen to me. When? Calling Annalee Barker. Annalee Barker, will you call Operator 5 in London? Queen Elizabeth would chat with you. <laughs> Annalee? All right, so I slipped the girl a fin. How would you like to handle my publicity? I would not dream to presume upon the domain of skilled professional craftsmen skilled in their craft. All right, all right. I'll arrange an interview with Luella Parsons. Good. What'll I ask her? Oh, we're going to try something different. Lolly's going to ask you the question. Oh? It's a new approach. 
Parsons, may I call you Lolly? There I was, Lolly, in Michigan, a complete failure. I was busted financially and likewise spiritually when I was 14 and discovered that men do not like Gabby Danes with undistinguished faces. In addition, I'm stupid. But one day, the Dramatic Society put on a play. I got the lead because I was the oldest and biggest girl in school and the rest is history. Do you realize how much they're paying me per week, Miss Parsons? 500 clams. <laughs> Everything was an act with Anna Lee, but she had something. I wasn't sure what. Underneath all the yatada and pretense, there was something wistful and hungry and elusive. Jim? Jim, do you ever go out with girls? It's part of my profession. Oh, I know you have a pipe and a, probably a book and slippers, but are they enough? Well, next week, I'm buying a faithful dog. <laughs> Jim, darling... The moonlight is bad for mad, mad people like me. Will you kiss me? I got news for you. There isn't any moon tonight. Kiss me anyhow. <laughs> Why? I want to throw myself away. I want to melt into the darkness and to be one with eternity. I've got to stop thinking. You can't stop thinking. Why can't I? You never started. <laughs> Look, Annalee, let, let me come quickly to the point, which is that you're real nutty, and I definitely do not want nutty dames to love. In addition, I was married once. Ah, a society girl, and she was beautiful. A chorus girl, she was terrible. <laughs> now you go get yourself somebody else without wound strikes. <laughs> it's funny. Yeah, hilarious. Oh, what a lovely sardonic joke. Is this then what I did for? To be the butt of a mocking indifferent face? Is it, I say? Is it? Oh, cut it, cut it, cut it. You tone that down a little and don't breathe so hard. Well, I keep smelling her pipe and it makes me sick. <laughs> Annie, my girl, you need never want. You can make a good living just doing impersonations of yourself. Jim, do I walk like a camel? When I was with Lawrence of Arabia, which was never, <laughs> we were briefed in the concept that camels walk beautifully. Are my hip bones like bicycle handlebars? No. Like antlers? No. Like hip bones? No. I'm worried. Why? Well, my first screen test is tomorrow. Yeah, I know that. It's got to be stupendous. It'll be even better than that. It'll be acceptable. <laughs> the next day, they shot the test. The full treatment. The works. She came off the set looking pale and shaken. I took her to lunch. She couldn't eat much. Only a steak or two. Her eyes were wide, dry, and steady. Come on, kid. Eat. Live. I can't. Which? Neither. Oh, you were great to this. I could smell my acne. I disagree. It was like a faint aroma of burning automobile tires. Recaps yet. <laughs> this is the end. I will go to my garage. I will close the door. The exhaust pipe of my sweet little Maxwell and... Ah, that's the coward's way out. Goodbye, Jim. Take care of yourself. I hope you'll find a better girl than I was to you. You weren't my girl. I was, too. Well, much as I'm loath to quarrel with you, in your final hours, our relationship was that of fellow wage sir. I'll leave you a note of farewell. I'll murder you if you do. Farewell, Tim, my beloved. Well, so long forever until this afternoon. We're going down to the harbor and help launch a new ship. I should be out of this world. When weren't you out of this world? Let me get to your apartment at one o'clock. <laughs> Thank you.
the nose, I buzzed the buzzer of Annalise's apartment. And there wasn't any answer. I tried it again. No answer. And I got worried. I got down on my knees in the hall and tried to smell gas under the door. I smelled fried onions. I got scared. I, I ran down to the garages and back of the building. Sure enough, Annalise's garage door was closed and I could hear an engine running inside. I lifted the door. A wave of fumes and monoxide surged out at me. I ran inside yelling with grief. Annalise! Oh, I'll kill you. I'll kill you in cold blood if I have to send out for some. <laughs> you planned it, didn't you? No, no, I was really going to bump myself off. Why didn't you, well, then? I had to go back for my lipstick and my contacts. I looked sad enough alive. Oh. <laughs> oh, peanut brittle, don't ever give me a scare like that again. Rhubarb pie, you thought I was dead. <laughs> I was afraid you were. <laughs> Whipped off your coat to flap away the fuse from my limp and pitifully helpless form. I was pulling off my coat to plug up any leaks in the garage. Ah. <laughs> Annie, I, I think I'm going to. Jim, Jim, help! Oh, he's Star Playhouse dramatization of Robert Carson's Cosmopolitan Magazine story, The Incredible Anna Lee, starring Rosalind Russell, with Frank Lovejoy as Jim. The police came, so did the reporters, so did the photographers. Annalee got her publicity, only there was a slight switch. Somehow the reporters got it that I was trying to end it all, and Annalee rescued me. There was nothing wrong with me. It was relief that Annalee was safe that made me pass out. I revived in time to take Annalee to the dock and help launch the new ship. Gee, Squidge, you might have told me that all the beauty and glamour in Hollywood was going to be out here today. How can I compete with them? Now, kid, you've got personality. You get in there and get in the act now. No, I don't want... Wait... I see something good. Come back here. And, honey. Screwball! <laughs> Annalie came back an hour later. She had in tow a big, despondent looking lieutenant commander with a cruel haircut and the padding walk of a prize. <laughs> I didn't like it. Carlisle. This is Jim Melvin. How are you? Thornton Carlisle. Jim watches over me. Hmm? At the studio. Nice watching. It's an income. I'm hungry. So let's eat. Taxi. Uh, we'll go in my limousine. Limousine? Did you hear that, Jim? This highly decorated lieutenant commander possesses a limousine. Uh, how is it on carbon monoxide output, commander? 
Uh, what's that you say? Now, Jim, you must stop thinking those morbid thoughts. I am just... Jim just tried to commit suicide this afternoon. I saved him. Oh, of all the out-and-out fabrications. Now, don't try to deny it, Jim. It's in all the afternoon papers. Well, come on. I know a seafood place that's terrific. Oh, good, 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 good. I'll order jellyfish. Jellyfish? I don't know. I can order it, can't I? And then you tell them who I am and it'll be on the radio that I eat jellyfish. Come on, I'm starving. And there I was in the South Pacific with all those PT boats. I thought the war would never end. Oh, you must have belonging to war. I beg your pardon? Now, this dame can send you howling to the nearest snake pit. Yeah? Well, I- I'm going to have another drink. Annalee? No, thanks, you hulking bitsomaniac. Here, you know, alcohol might make you look good to me. Well, now that's a funny way for a woman to talk who deliberately picked me up. I didn't pick you up. Anyhow, all the other girls had Navy men around them, and there I was alone. An ugly duckling among swans. You are not ugly. I'll thank you not to contradict a lady. Add a boy, Navy. <laughs> I wanted a naval escort like I saw with Virginia Mayo and Esther Williams. So I picked this big oaf. Well, now I'm an oaf. Oh, I want men to admire me. I want to be loved. Instead, I am homely, obscure, and unwanted. Oh, here she goes again. If Annalee fails in pictures, she's going to kill herself. You know that? Shut up. Kill herself? You shut up, too. Well, how? Some involved gag with an exhaust pipe. That's been changed. It'll be a gun, and I'm going to take a couple of you with me. (laughs) If I'd have known what it was like here in the States, I I would never have come home. Let's go, Annalee. Can I I drop you somewhere? On what and from what altitude? (laughs) Annalee, better come home with me alone. Studio orders. He lies in his teeth, but they're his teeth. Annalee, I don't understand this at all. My dear commander, this has been perfectly charming. If I've said anything you missed at all, believe me, it's only because you are an ill-favored lout and deserve no better. Bless you and keep you, Commander. Annalee, don't be like that. Can't you see I'm all... Oh, Thornton, don't you understand? Suppose I should get to like you. I'm fighting that attraction now. Cut it, But if it gets too powerful, can we look forward to anything but tragedy? Not a thing. Come on, Annalee. It's getting late. No, 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 no. This deep-sea flounder here fatally fascinates me. I'm going with him. I went home reaping traffic tickets as I went. I had myself a problem, all right. I like that girl too much. Suppose I told her that Thornton Carlyle was the biggest catch in the woods. Big money, first family, hero, all that. Where would I be? Then I thought that she, uh, well, she owed it to herself to make the most of the big flounder. Around midnight, I rang the buzzer at her apartment. Dear boy, what a delightful surprise. Do stumble in. Uh, you, were, you were out with Commander Carlisle tonight So if I was, he treats me almost as if I were good looking Instead of just untalented Well, <laughs> Annalie, I feel I owe it to you To tell you that your big tight chum Is none other than the Thornton Carlisle Second or third Isn't he rather big for an infielder? <laughs> Annalie, Thornton Carlisle is the biggest cat since Moby Dick Any romance with him is absolutely 18 carat publicity Merci. If I decide to marry him, I shall let you know, as my publicity counsel, you will be the first to know it. Thanks. I'll even tell you before I tell the commander. Or school. It's nothing, really, DeBoy, nothing. Well, that's it. Uh, good night, dear girl. Jim. Yeah? You may kiss me, dear boy. <laughs> okay. 
Just one short one on that loud mouth of yours, and I'll be on room. Mm. Mm. Not bad. <laughs> I, uh... I better beat it, kid. Jim. Uh, yeah. You think I'm crazy, don't you? Well, you have your lucid moments. <laughs> well, now, who would be most likely to, to attract attention in Hollywood? A sane girl or a daffy one? Annalise. Annie, if you've been making a fool of me when all the time, when all the time I... Uh, yes, Jim? I... When all the time you was. I... Uh... Uh... Never mind. <laughs> all right. But Commander Carlyle is everything you say he is. A catch. Do I make myself clear? Yeah, dreadfully clear. By hook or crook, you're going to marry that bump. By hook or crook, I'm going to be married. Is that bad? And how bad, in your opinion? <laughs> I want to thank you for a very strange interval. Goodbye, Emily. Well, don't take any wooden Indians, Jim. <laughs> In the morning, I handed Pickerel my resignation as vice president in charge of publicity for Annalee Barker. They uh, sent me to work sorting shiny pictures of movie stars. For a week, I kept clear of Annalee, but I couldn't help reading the papers. A couple of hep columnists predicted Annalee's marriage to Thornton Carlyle. Then on Monday morning, Annalee slouched into the office. I pegged the get-up right away. The short, tight skirt and the tight sweater. The tough girl of a thousand affairs, hard and brittle, but willing to make the supreme sacrifice for a good man. Everybody in the office tuned in right away. Hey. All right, all right. Take it and shut up, you guys, will you? Hello, big boy. <laughs> you got a cigarette on you? Dark and deadly? Now, look, Annalise. Jim, you gotta come back to me. Jim. Ann, you got to get out of here. Ann, my breakfast is settling. Ann. Oh, Jim, I didn't mean what I said the other night. I'm not really playing it smart to get me a husband. I'm really nuts. Oh, go home, Annalee. Ring off. The whole office is watching. you got to believe me, Jim. I've lived hard and dangerously and thrown away the best things in my life for a gag. Forgive me, Jim. Take me and my publicity back. Take you and your woman of a thousand faces away and start a movement of some kind. Ah, I see. Then this is how it all ends. But I warn you, you can't cast me off like a broken flower. One day I'll have my revenge. I'll humiliate and shame you, as you have humiliated and shamed and degraded me. Farewell, false heart. Shut up. Shut up. Oh, I quit, I quit. Farewell, false flunky. And that was definitely the last I saw of Anna Lee Barker In the role of Sadie Thompson, that is However, two weeks later she returned as Orphans of the Storm Both of them <laughs> I was at home smoking my pipe and minding my own business When the doorbell began to come out by the roots all right, all right. Granted, you want in. I'm coming. You hound, you. Oh, Commander Carlyle. Nice to see you. Why, you contemptible cad. I didn't want to come here, James. Truly, I did not. <laughs> well, come in. She's a night for an airy man and a beast. Now, what is this? 
Well, you know what it is. I did not wish to come here. Truly, I did not. Well, don't you snarl at this fine, innocent girl. I asked her to marry me. She accepted. And then... And then she... How could I come to him a soiled dove? Soiled dove? <laughs> Why, you dirty dog. I told him about our affair. You'll marry this woman or I'll slaughter you. Wait a minute, wait a minute. I know this act. Annie. You're going to have a baby. Uh-huh. A girl. <laughs> we'll call her Lynn. East Lynn. Then it's true. Well, what can I say, Commander? I'm going to knock you kicking, sir. Say the word, sweetheart, and I'll pulverize this pier. You don't dare. Big Jim Malvern is worth two of the likes of you. I'll give up. I'm through. No, no, Commander. Marry her. Maybe you'll find out in time who she really is. I wouldn't dare. Craven, poltron, coward, and wretch. Now what's she talking about? Firm of lawyers on Hill Street, I think. <laughs> Good night. Oh, for those quiet days in the PT boats again. Hey. Peanut brittle. Well, it was an act, Jim. I expected you to deny everything, of course. Allie, what do you want out of life, anyhow? What everyone else wants out of life. Someone to love and someone to be loved by. When I wasn't pretty enough to get that, I settled for the next best thing, a career. But I wasn't pretty enough for that either. I, I had to do cartwheels and handstands, and I did them to win second best. You didn't really want to be an actress? Uh-uh. Consolation prize only. What about those uh, starring vehicles? For ambulators. And big premieres? Well, twins would be a nice big start. What about spectacles? Well, I'll bring them to you with your pipe and slippers. <laughs> now, what about uh, this? Oh, Oh, mm. <laughs> uh, Jim, what if that having a baby is just enough? Well, pardon me. <laughs> uh, cut, baby. Oh, no, Jim. Can't we have a retake? <laughs> Playhouse. Rosalind Russell speaking. This is Fred McMurray, Roz. As if you didn't know. Fred McMurray. Well, how nice of you to call. As if you liked the show. As if I didn't. <laughs> and I'm seriously considering asking your incredible Anna Lee to co-star with me next Sunday when I do Corey on the four-star playhouse. Corey? What's that? Tell us about it. It's the story of a man who's known simply as Corey. A man from the wrong side of the tracks who falls in love with an uptown girl. It's a tense, bitter story with a lot of punch, but with plenty of heart good, strong love story, too. It sounds very potent, Fred. And I'll be at the radio pulling my handkerchief to shreds. Okay, Roz. Thanks. Good night. Goodbye, Fred. And thanks for calling. And good night, friends. Tune in, Fred, next Sunday. Hmm? You have been listening to Four Star Playhouse, 
Tonight starring Rosalind Russell in Robert Carson's story, The Incredible Anna Lee, adapted for radio by Milton Geiger. Frank Lovejoy was featured as Jim Malvern. Others in the cast were Betty Moran, George Neese, and Ken Christie. Four Star Playhouse is directed by Warren Lewis. Music composed and conducted by Albert Harris. Portions were transcribed. Rosalind Russell will soon be seen in the Columbia Pictures comedy, Tell It to the Judge. Each week at this time, one of our four-star players, Fred McMurray, Loretta Young, Robert Cummings, and Rosalind Russell, will be heard in a special adaptation of a popular fiction story selected from Cosmopolitan magazine, written by the world's foremost fiction authors. On future weeks, you will hear Loretta Young in Once Upon a Horse by Virginia Faulkner and Robert Cummings in Surprise for the Professor. Next week on Four Star Playhouse, Fred McMurray will be starred in Leo Roston's thrilling novel, Corey. Break that match, douse that fire, get a little careless, and you'll land among the guilty nine. Who are the guilty nine? They're the people who are responsible for the nine out of ten forest fires that are caused by carelessness. Last year, forest fires blackened 30 million acres of rich American forest land, an area the size of New York State. The lumber that was destroyed would have built 86,000 five-room houses. America's safety and future, your safety and future, are as sound as our natural resources. Help conserve our forests. Crush out all cigarettes, cigar, and pipe ashes. Break that match in two before you throw it away. Drench campfires twice before leaving them. It's your country. Save it from fire. In just a few moments, you are going to hear another of the NBC Symphony Summer Concerts. And one hour from now, Ethel Merman is sure to delight you in her own new show. For the best in entertainment all evening long, keep your dial tuned to your favorite NBC station. This is NBC, the national broadcasting company. Welcome back. Well, an interesting episode for uh, a few reasons. Uh, first, uh, this is the first time... I heard Frank Lovejoy in such a straightforward comedy. And I guess that's worth noting because uh, Frank Lovejoy, of course, played Randy Stone in Nightbeat for about a year and a half. And generally every month I played a Frank Lovejoy program as an app extra. And I can't recall finding anything that was, you know, just a straightforward comedy like this. And I think both he and Rosalind Russell did good with a, what's a very tough script. In many ways, this is kind of almost a stereotypically 
American uh, comedy, where you just kind of put gags upon gags upon gags upon gags. And particularly with, it does sound like a live audience, uh, essentially uh, they're making uh, gags often while the audience is laughing at the last one. For me, uh, enough hit that I, I did quite enjoy it. But there is something to be said for spacing them out. Rosalind Russell got to show a lot of range in, you know, portraying all of these different sorts of characters that Annabelle Lee was trying to be. The four-star selection is interesting. I'm not certain I see uh, Robert Cummings in the same class as uh, those other actors' names. But he did have a decent enough career. As I mentioned last week, Four Star Playhouse became a television show, but unlike General Electric Theater, it had quite a while to wait. Four Star uh, Playhouse would hit television in 1952. The four stars in that case would be Dick Powell, Ida Lupino, David Niven, and Charles Boyer. No doubt about any of them. The radio version of Four Star Playhouse aired at a time when uh, you, the CBS was doing its talent raids and NBC was trying to find ways to respond. And the result was a pretty expensive but well-made radio program. It would probably find its best form over television. While the TV version was only supposed to star the four stars as the leads, there were plenty of exceptions. A few of those exceptions were programs that starred Frank Lovejoy, including a backdoor TV pilot for Nightbeat, and later a backdoor pilot for a series that was actually picked up, Old Meet McGraw. If you're anything like me, you kind of did a double take with the idea that this was a story taken from Cosmopolitan magazine and that that was the big theme of the series, that each episode was a story taken out of Cosmopolitan magazine, because we have an image of it as this uh, women's magazine with some pretty racy uh, columns, but that was not originally the case. It was actually founded as a family magazine, and it began to focus on fiction. And in the 30s, there was even a film company uh, that Hearst was uh, set up with the idea of adapting uh, cosmopolitan stories to the silver screen. At its height, uh, Cosmopolitan as a magazine that focused on fiction, had uh, 1.7 million subscribers. And again, it was general market kind of shaded towards women. And there were a lot of magazines out there that focused on uh, short stories. And that's why there are a lot of short stories that were published that have really strong universal appeal. They had to. They were written to a mass audience. I think you tend to have less of those in more recent short stories, uh, particularly those you know published in magazines, because they tend to be more focused towards a niche audience, that sort of self-selecting group that will you know read short stories kind of defines who uh, magazines are looking to place. In the 1930s and 40s, though, you had many very large 
markets for short fiction. And there were multiple series that were based on the idea of, you know, let's go ahead and do a radio program and we'll just take uh, stories that originally appeared in Red Book and put them on the air. So definitely an artifact of another time. Well, that will be all for this week. Next week, we're going to take a listen to a program that might be considered a predecessor to programs like Unsolved Mysteries and America's Most Wanted. Next week, we're going to bring you an episode of Somebody Knows. In the meantime, send your comments to box13 at greatdetectives.net. From Boise, Idaho, this is your host, Adam Graham, signing off.